Welcome to the Proper Lookout Podcast, published by the Statutory Insurance Group of McCabe Kerwood. In this series, our CTP experts will discuss a range of topics, sharing their thoughts on an industry trend or an intriguing legal issue, explaining the intricacies of an important case, and hopefully imparting some of the knowledge that they have gained. Hello, listeners, and welcome to another episode of the Proper Lookout Podcast. I am here today with my esteemed colleagues, Peter Hunt. Hi there. And Paul Woolahan. Morning. And we're going to be chatting about Section 621B of MACA and its application in referring matters back to MAS. I'm sure a lot of us have come across this section in our careers and these applications, and we thought we'd just have a chat about our experiences with this section and these applications, and hopefully you can learn a thing or two. Peter, tell us a little bit about the case that you were very involved in, which is Trezevuk, which, as we all know, the Court of Appeal dealt with this and it helped to define the nature of the discretion of the CARS assessor. Thanks, Ray. Yes, uh, this is back in 2010, back in the days when I was a CARS assessor, and I was actually the assessor in Trezevuk, and I refused an application by the claimant to have the matter referred back to MAS under Section 621B. And jumping to the end, um, two-thirds of the Court of Appeal thought I was awesome, and <laughs> one uh, found I erred in my decision. But essentially, the background facts were that the claimant alleged some procedural unfairness in the way the MAS assessor dealt with the assessment of WPI. There are a number of grounds, but the major one was, and it was quite dramatic in the claimant's statement, he, um, I remember him saying, I left the room, went back to my car, I felt someone was watching me, I turned around, there he was, the assessor looking out the window, um, observing my movements, and that um, ended up in the certificate. And uh, the claimant argued that that was unfair because he wasn't given a chance to explain himself, which is required by the guidelines. I think everyone, including myself and the Court of Appeal, agreed there was procedural unfairness. The issue was whether it should go back to MAS for a, a reassessment. And I decided in my wisdom at the time <laughs> <laughs> that um, although I had a an unfettered discretion to, re- to refer back or not refer back, I managed to fetter my discretion by coming up with a test that I'd only do so if there are good reasons to send it back to MAS and if there was a potential for injustice if I didn't send it back to MAS. And um, I decided that there was no good reason because it was unlikely that the outcome would be altered by sending it back. And as I said, I was endorsed by two-thirds of the Court of Appeal. Interesting side note, the judge who found I erred was actually an old family friend of my father's. And he recognised who I was during the course of the argument and disclosed his the fact that he knew me and all the parties agreed that he could proceed to, the, to hear the matter anyway. But, um, yeah, interesting side note. Thanks, Peter, for that really interesting uh, summary of Trazervook. It's always great listeners to hear about. I'm sure you'd agree to hear about cases where the podcast recorders were actually <laughs> involved in cases. It really brings it back home that these are real-life cases that we're dealing with that can actually impact on our day-to-day practice of of law. And I would say as well, I mean, I've utilized Trizavuk in um, cases of mine where I've had um, matters, uh, applications according to Section 621B, and I've utilized Trizavuk because, as you know, the CARS assessor has that unfettered discretion to refer the matter back. And um, thankfully, through the Peter's case, um, (laughs) that discretion should only be exercised where there are good reasons to do so and uh, where to be unjust not to do so. And um, in the case that I had, as much as I argued <laughs> that um, all those principles didn't apply, in the case that I had, it was eventually referred back to MAS. 
Can I just say, I like the reference to Peter's case. Like, um, <laughs> uh, so for now on, I think um, Trezevok should be referred to as Peter's case rather, like rather than, rather like than by name of the party. It's just like, was it Wagon Mound 1 and Wagon Mound 2 back in the day? <laughs> Paul, tell us a little bit about a case of yours that you had that deals with Section 621B. Yes, thanks for that. No, it's, a, it's an interesting case, just a bit of background. There were actually care disputes that went to MAS a, a few years ago. And the outcome of those from both a psychological and physical perspective was no impairment, no entitlement to, to care from any period of time. And they were in the background. And three years later, we get to an assessment conference. Leading into the assessment conference was uh, a MAS psych assessment, which came in at 27% whole person. The medico-legal practitioners or psychiatrists for both parties uh, had similar assessments. So uh, this gentleman romped over the threshold. Uh, <laughs> uh, well, I think the claim, the claim, it's, uh, claim it had him at 53%. That's incredible. Uh, so, uh, yeah, wow. It was very high. And, and our own doctor who saw him in September uh, 2018 actually found that he should be institutionalised and couldn't look after himself and essentially needed care 24-7. Ironically, on the day of that assessment, uh, the insurer carried out surveillance as a response to which we determined that the claimant was arguably feigning completely both physical and psychological injury. So we notified the assessor of an application to send the matter back. Uh, We sent the surveillance videos, some detailed submissions drafted by counsel. The assessor determined that it would not be a matter that would be decided without hearing evidence from the claimant and hearing the claimant cross-examined about the surveillance. As it turned out, everyone at that stage uh, except us had forgotten, or the claimant solicitors had forgotten that they had an application in their submissions before CARS to send the care dispute back. Uh, So we had a, by the time we got to, (laughs) we're about an hour into the assessment conference and there were two applications, our application to send the physical and psychological assessment back and the claimant's application to send the care disputes back. Of course, they have completely diverging uh, opinions from the the more recent psychiatrist and the, the, the care assessors. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's an interesting case. Um, at the moment, uh, the matter has gone back. Uh, both disputes have gone back. Uh, it's a matter where the assessor raised, this looks like uh, an exemption coming up, and that may well, well, yeah. that may well be the case. It is, it is complicated, and I could see it being a matter where you want to cross-examine a number of doctors. So I, I suspect it will probably be uh, exempted, but we're waiting for the mass certificates at the moment uh, with interest. But I think what uh, Renaud said before, the, the fact that the discretion is such a broad one, when you look at 62.1a, you've got to have additional relevant yeah, information or deterioration in conditions, 62.1b, just says you can send it back. So as, as Peter said, you've got to be pretty careful. And we're always concerned about procedural fairness as yeah. assessors when we, when we deal with these things. So it's a bit of a balancing act at times. Thanks, Paul. That's really interesting how you talk about um, 621a and bring that in because I think in the practice of insurance law as we do, it's interesting how Section 621A appears to have a much stricter threshold to cross, whereas 621B is is so wide and appears a lot easier for potentially a claimant or insurer, depending on, on how you put forward the application, to refer a matter back to MAS, especially in my case that I had dealt with, the MAS review panel had found that the claimant's cervical injury was the only injury that was related to the accident and her left shoulder and lumbar injuries weren't weren't related to the accident. And as it happens, um, our matter was actually set down for a CARS assessment conference. And it's interesting when you think about how the timing of these applications are put in 
um, when you're running claims, because my matter was actually listed for an assessment conference as well as the 621B, which ran ahead of the ahead of the CARS assessment conference. And it was actually found that judgment was reserved on the 621B and the matter didn't run to AC, of course, because the, that decision had to be made first so that we could find out whether the claimant would be entitled to non-economic loss damages. Yeah, I see. In my case, it was very clear that that decision was not going to be made until the claimant had given evidence. So that happened more further through it. And interesting, Paul. Thank you for that. I think it also is quite interesting how in both our cases, it sounds as if the Section 621B applications had to be heard in person for cross-examination to be given. I know in my matter, that was the case as well, because the claimant not only relied on medical evidence, that being, for example, contemporaneous records that were relevant to the discretion that were potentially not seen by the previous mass assessors. Of course, we all know that that principle is um, taken from the case of Devic, but also the fact that in my matter, the claimant also relied on lay evidence. And of course, that meant that the claimant and any family members or caregivers that needed to provide evidence in support of the fact that certain injuries did exist at the time of the accident needed to be cross-examined. So I thought that was a a really great experience to be able to have the claimant and the family member there in person for us to at least test their credibility and ask a lot of questions that you normally wouldn't be able to get across when you just deal with this sort of thing on the papers. What do you think about that, Peter? No, I think it's a very good point, Renee. And um, it brings back to mind when I was faced with um, Tracer Vuk, I knew I had an unfettered discretion about whether to send the matter back to Maz or not. But my thinking was, you know, I'm not going to do it because someone asked me to. I'm not going to not, going to not do it because someone asked me to or someone else opposed it. So I had to, in my own mind, come up with a test about whether I'd return the matter to Maz or not. And the test I came up with, as I explained earlier, was um, the good reasons test, <laughs> which, again, I repeat, was endorsed by two-thirds of the Court of Appeal. In my one, it was all done in the papers, but I can't imagine a situation where I would have wanted to hear from the claimant to answer your question and hear them be cross-examined on particular issues and hear what they had to say. So I think it's, um, you can go either way. It's really up to the, the CARS assessor or in the new system, system, the DRS assessor, to decide how they approach the application and whether they need to hear from the claimant or the parties or whether the, they can make the de- determination on the, um, the material before them. I think on that discretion point, and, and the manner in which it's done, I, I don't, I don't see my case as possibly being determined on the papers without there being the potential for a judicial review because um, yeah, good credit was such Absolutely. a big issue here, and the, the plaintiff had to have the benefit of being asked questions and answering the questions to satisfy the assessor whether or not to send the matter back. Yeah, quite right, Paul. And some, I, I said uh, it's up to the assessor, but in some cases, you're right. I think the circumstances demand that it be heard face to face, where this question is asked and answers given. Thanks for that, Peter and Paul. It's also interesting, Peter, how you mentioned in Trazevuk, or should I say Peter's case, <laughs> you spoke about procedural um, fairness, which, as we all know, in the case of Chami, that was also a principle that was espoused, which said that procedural fairness would be a relevant consideration in referring a matter back to MAS pursuant to Section 621B. And I would also say that I think that Section 621B is a section that I found a lot of practitioners sometimes underutilize. This section, and and sometimes a lot of people are not aware that this section even exists because we so often are always faced with Section 621A applications that becomes sort of the norm and what you're you're used to Mm. dealing with with those tests in that section that I find that, interestingly enough, it appears that only a handful of people have actually been faced with 621B applications or had decisions coming out of that. Uh, What's your experience with that, Peter? Uh, It's a very good point, and I've often seen both... um, when I was an assessor and 
as a practitioner, when I'm faced with a, an application by the claimant, they actually address the 62.1a criteria in their submissions on 62.1b, which I always found curious because, as you said, 62.1b is a much broader test. And, and thereby you would think easier. Uh, yeah, that's right. So it should be an easier test to, to satisfy. What about you, Paul? Any thoughts on that? Certainly I agree that they're, they're pretty rare applications. We don't see very many of them. And, you know, Trazovac's been one of the leading cases on it. And as Peter said, that was a 2010 decision. So I don't, <laughs> uh, you don't see them very often. I they probably are underutilised. But it puts, I think it puts the assessor under quite a lot of pressure as to how to do it, always bearing in mind that procedural fairness, which looms very large in the, in the, the ongoing matter that I have. Yeah. Would you think that it's almost as if a CAS assessor, when faced with a 621B application, it's almost appears to be the safer decision to refer back to MAS because of that wide discretion and the bar being low in terms of how and what needs to be proved in order to refer it back? Thanks for the invitation I was very, <laughs> that I was very courageous in, in, in not sending it back, which, of course, I agree with. But to answer the question, <laughs> I think it is there is a temptation for the assessor to um, take the easy path and uh, send it back to MAS and say, well, let MAS deal with the issue. Yeah, I think in that decision you've got to weigh up. If a matter has basically essentially no chance of success, I think that's yeah. an issue as well. I think you've got to weigh up the evidence and the likelihood or potential for that matter's decision to, to change in some way, notwithstanding how broad the discretion is. But we see so few of these um, that probably are underutilised, as you said, Renee. Mm. That's so true. I think that, that these applications are underutilised and I think it's such a powerful section not only to claimants but also to insurers when you're dealing with the matter and, and the impact that that section can have, especially with respect to non-economic loss damages. Well, listeners, thanks so much for joining us today on the Proper Lookout podcast. I think that covers everything for this topic and I hope you found it interesting and educational. Join us for the next Proper Lookout podcast. Thank thanks, you, everybody. Thanks, Ray. Thanks, Paul. Bye. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Proper Lookout podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. For more information on anything discussed, please contact Peter Hunt at peter.hunt at or visit our website to see McCabe Kerwood's full team of specialists.